What is up, Simple Pass Cashflow? This week's podcast, we are going to be talking to another coaching call. This guy's got $1.4 million net worth, and he is finally ditching the rentals. Now, I would say most of you guys who are investing with us these days, maybe not the vast majority, but a little bit more than 50% of you guys have never owned rental property. It's funny over the years, it, it, this this clientele group that who've actually owned rentals, like the guy we're going to have on the coaching call today, which you guys can also check this out on the YouTube channel. And it's probably the you know, one of the better places if you want to actually look at his personal financial sheet and look at that stuff. And as always, if you guys want to sign up for one of these complimentary coaching calls, reach out to the team at team at simplepassivecashflow.com. We can change your name, identity, we can make it fun. We can be asking for a friend for all we bought. Like you know, ditching the rentals is, I think, what most accredited investors come to the conclusion of. The hardest thing is who do you trust? And that's why we say come out to a, you know, we've probably got maybe a couple more weeks of, actually maybe a few more weeks until the 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 Hawaii retreat, the Hui 5 is closing. We're pretty much filled up with family office, Ohana Mastermind folks, as we always try and save like half of the seats for them, which means we do have some seats open for people who are not in our mastermind inner circle to test drive the group out. And we like you guys to come out and check out the group once to see if it's a good fit for you. But after that, no, you got to join, you got to join the family office group. But my hope is that you come out, you meet myself, you ask all the questions you want. And more importantly, you meet some other people, you have a great time and maybe you meet some lifelong friends too in the process. A lot of that can be very life-changing to meet some other people along the path. Some things that I'm personally working on myself here. I was looking at buying a house. I know it's crazy. I've always been a proponent to renting. One of my big rules is you don't buy a house until your network is two or three times greater than that of the house. So if you're looking to buy a $1 million house, don't do it till your net worth is two mil, three mil. Now you probably think I'm a cold, heartless person. A house is something that is not a good return on investment. You can probably do better elsewhere. And how else are you going to get unbroke over a million, million and a half dollars net worth unless you invest in investment properties? And most of us in our group are not born for money. We are the first generation wealth, first first generation to get over a million dollars net worth. I'll be going that to, into more details on in the next week's podcast. I'll be talking about what do people do on looking for these home mortgages and stuff like that for the wealthy. So it's definitely first world problems. But again, if you haven't yet, please join our investment club. That's how you get the invites to our events. You guys can join there and check out all the past deals, including the pet fund paying out 12, 13% per year, or that's a little bit over 1% every single month. It's in a debt fund arrangement where it's a little bit lower risk, lower return. It's not on the equity side. And that's what the market is giving us at the moment, interest rates being sky high. And I can't make deals work at the moment. So I don't know how people are doing things out there. So that's I'm just taking what I can get. And that's why kind of the debt fund is becoming more prevalent as a product for us at this point. So if you guys want more details on that, simplepassivecashflow.com slash club, book a call. I like, I we give out free complimentary calls. I want to get to know each and every single one of you, but enjoy the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. What's up, folks? Today we have a gentleman, Jackson, here who's been in a group. I think we met maybe a couple of years ago or within the pandemic years when yeah. everybody else was had some free time on their hands and they could study this stuff. But he's volunteered kindly to open up his personal financial sheet here. And his net worth is approximately $1.3 million. But we're going to get into this. A bunch of questions that I'm sure all of you guys are too scared to ask. I don't blame you kind of take some cojones to get on the internet or a podcast like this but we also put all these videos we must have a couple dozen of these coaching calls so jackson's not the only one and we arrange these by net worth so depending on where you are it's just easiest to find if you're 1.4 maybe you find this when you start reading down the page from there but jackson thanks for doing this why don't you give a quick update on what you do for work and how old you are and just so people get a little context sure 
Yeah, my name is Jackson. I am currently 34 years old, married. I have one child, a eight-month-old baby boy. So that's one. Profession-wise, I am a registered nurse. I've been doing it for about 10 years now. Graduated in 2013, started off working in the emergency department in LA County. So very busy department. Just followed that path, right? Good benefits, government job, winning that pension. The whole plan is to retire with that pension after your 25 years and whatnot. But along the way, did pretty well for myself. I moved up the ladder, became a charge nurse, went into management, got my master's. Currently, I'm a director for my hospital. And at this point where I'm at after 10 years, I know that I don't want to do this forever. I cannot retire off of this and it's just not sustainable. So I'm just looking for another avenue as far as passive investing and how to find another sense of financial freedom. All right. And so Jackson, you're actually rare, I would say, in our group. Most people are, I would say, are a little bit older than you and myself, probably in their mid-40s. Other kids are a lot older. Right now, you're what I call the Bermuda Triangle of parenthood, where we don't see too many people. We've got a bunch of Henrys who are young folks making six figures and not a care in the world and buying Teslas, probably. And there's stupid Tesla whistles too with their free money but uh, not many people have the bandwidth to look to doing something else when you have young kids in that point what does your your spouse do for work what's the situation bandwidth wise yeah she we actually met at work in the ER I worked in adults and she worked pediatrics so she's a registered nurse right now this past year she's taking care of our baby at home and currently going back to school for her master's to be a nurse practitioner Okay. And so between the two of you guys, who likes their job the least? It's a good question. Neither of us want to be a parent at home solely. So we do want to work, but probably 50-50. I think part-time positions for the both of us would be ideal. Okay. So you guys both make pretty good money, and it is maybe too early to really tell. It is kind of, probably what I hear from other people, what you guys will find is that you guys will keep doing your thing, but one of you guys will have a crappy boss, and then that will probably be the front who <laughs> takes the off-ramp off first, but hopefully that right. happen, although it likely will. Both you guys make about 15000 per if you guys were both working. Is that kind of where you... Yeah, go? that sounds about right. Right now, I'm making about 200000 a year salary-wise. If she worked full-time, she would probably be in the 150 to 180 range. Yeah, so together, you're definitely above that $340,000 adjusted gross income together. So. Correct. That's if she was to work full-time, though. So right now, since she's not really working and just focusing on school, I think one of our benefits, especially this year, is combined, we're probably looking at 280 combined because I would hold the majority of it. Okay, cool. And I don't know if you did that on purpose, but yeah, I think that's good. If you've been listening to the Simple Passive Casual podcast since 2016, you have seen me well change my mind a few times. At one time, I thought buying a bunch of rentals was the way to financial freedom so you could be that cool guy at the local real estate club with all the other misguided landlords. As I became an accredited investor, I discovered the three step system that we use today. First, syndication deals where you don't invest with dishonest operators to get better returns than the 401k financial planner garbage. Second step, get passive losses to unlock the tax best practices that the wealthy employ. And last and least impactful, number three, infinite banking. If your net worth is not yet $1 million, check out my free turnkey rental remote e-course at simplepassacashflow.com slash turnkey. All right, speaking to accredited investor to accredited investor, my one, two, three system is very simple to implement, but it requires plugging into a community of purely passive accredited investors like ours. Join our investor club for more insider access. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. Those who are looking to deploy more than $250,000 their first year or make over $300,000 in annual income or net worth over a couple million dollars should really look into our exclusive inner circle called the Family Office HANA Mastermind, FOOM for short. Learn more at simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. The only thing kind of question is like, unless she really wants to become a nurse practitioner and make more money, I don't think paying the money for grad school and all that stuff is like a good investment especially right you're gonna see in the probably the next five years your net worth 1.3 mil will probably be like two and a half and although two and a half is not there yet yeah you're definitely getting over the hump it's at, at that point 
you're going to be wondering like why the hell did i do that thing for two to four years <laughs> spending money to get it right not only time right. but money to to pay for that degree i would say if i don't know how far along she is now but if she doesn't like it or she'd rather stay at home with the kids or go back to work and just make a respectable six-figure salary i would say pull out now unless you like it <laughs> but that's, that's just my thoughts yeah, yeah. And, and, and that clashes with what most people will say most people say yeah you have to get more because you're going to be working for 20 30 years and then it obviously makes sense to go from 150,000 a year to i think they get paid 253 something and right i think the masters worked well for me because i got my masters in leadership administration and nursing so that helped me propel at least get a stepping stone into the director position so it was uh, the cost benefit worked out for me i think for her as a nurse practitioner is you get a transition into telehealth. You could work from home, a little bit more flexibility, where as a registered nurse, although there's different fields along with it, most of it is involved with like patient care, hands-on work. So I think with a nurse practitioner, just a little bit more flexibility, especially now with this day and age of healthcare where telehealth is really on the rise. Yeah, I buy that. I like that plan. And so like for you, just so I understand when I talk to other people, so for you, like, your, the master's was a way for you to get out of the field, right? In a way, like actually yeah. teaching real people and getting yeah. in. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. I see that in many other, like a lot of our other investors, engineers, pharmacists, that's the same trajectory. They get off of the front line, as I call it, and into the air condition. You guys are all air conditioned, but yeah, you know, it's kind of like the construction. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. You need that de- higher level to degree to get out of the construction management in the field role and to get a cushy job and just pushing numbers all day long, different quality of life, more freedom. Yeah, exactly. But for me, in that paper pushing job, I don't like it. So yeah, ideally I would wanna do something else, but on a part-time basis, less hours, and really just have my passive investments pave the way and help with that. Yeah, and I think that's something maybe to think about in the future, because at least what I hear from you guys, health professionals, you guys like to interact with people because you can see the benefit where I think that's true. why a lot of engineers don't like our jobs because we never see people and by you going into that upper level management in the healthcare you lose that and you become sad like all the engineers so. <laughs> yeah you lose the camaraderie for sure I think as nurses we do we share a lot of interesting stories and experiences so yeah you're right that is a key factor to some of our satisfactions in the profession yeah but you got, you'll have options here in maybe five years or so. So let's get into the numbers just to sum it up for folks who are listening on the podcast. And we do put this on the YouTube channel. And then, like I said, if you join the club, simplepassacashflow.com slash club, you will get access to the simple page with all these videos on here, which you can watch all the videos. But net worth 1.3. If we look at the upper left-hand corner here, thing really stands out pretty standard you guys your home and you guys are california right yeah correct los angeles yeah so probably what like a million 1.2 million dollar house you guys owe 458,000 on it so we can talk about that i think next but you guys are paid off half of it which is come to our events jackson and people okay might be a little shamed by that but that's cool we're all learning (laughs) okay salary and wages like i said you're the only one working right now but understandable you get the kids what i really look at is this net cash flow so i don't really have any data on this i just use my own judgment but based on our community where your salary is your salary should be higher because you only have one spouse working i think you could be doing a little bit better but because you're only fighting with one arm basically saving 60 grand a year where you're at is reasonable and i guess that's maybe we circle back to that point at the end right what if your spouse cut bait on the whole nursing thing and just made 100 grand a year now this pops up from 60 grand to 150 grand a year and now you're really moving but we can talk about that at the end if you want to notate that down okay yeah, I was pretty conservative about it. I didn't include my wife's potential income. I also budgeted like 12000 a year for travel expending expenses and vacations and things like that. And that's a part of our savings. But I just wanted to budget that out. So the net cash flow is really coming from me. That's what I plan to invest. 
which is not very much. And this is something personally I've been going through too. Like, you and I are still in our 30s, coming out of our 20s. We're super cheap. Any vacation <laughs> over five grand is big. Yeah. But then, yeah, yeah. Like, you come to our event, you talk to the dudes in their 40s with full, two kids, family. They'll tell you they don't go anywhere that's less than 10, 20 Gs. Wow. That's for wow. one vacation. Okay. So something happens there. I don't know, man. I just know when you go past <laughs> that certain age or your family threshold, it's just like stuff happens and things just cost 3x, 4x than what you <laughs> thought it was. I'd like to be there someday, maybe in the next five years. Probably. Probably. And then you've got, so let's break it down. Where is your deployable equity? So of the $1.3 million, I'm seeing half a million in your home equity in your house. So where is the other 800 grand or so? Those are already locked up in investment properties. I have 12 properties now, 17 doors total. Most of them are single family and duplexes. So those equities, the 20% down payment and whatnot, those are pretty locked up. Okay. okay. And then the real equity that I have right now is the Osborne Road, the duplex on road number two. And that's the one that I was telling you I was working on opening up a HELOC for it. Okay. Okay. So there's 800 grand uh, equity just here. I see you have some stock stuff too. Where did that go? Oh, yes. I have a index. That's my 401k. Okay. I did loan out 50000 from it to put in a syndication deal. So I have about 200, 150 left minus okay. the loan. So like maybe 10 or 15, 20% of your net worth is in paper assets, the rest alternatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how you do it, man. Everybody <laughs> asks, how much real estate should I get? There's no rule, but... but as maybe, much as maybe, it takes. <laughs> yeah, as much as it takes. And I suspect once your net worth goes over 5, 10 million, you, maybe you go back to this type of stuff. This stuff can get tiring. Maybe talk to... So you acquired all this stuff in 2020, 2021. Maybe yeah, folks, I started. Yeah, tell us okay. the story. Like some of the folks have never owned rental properties. Okay. Yeah, I started my invest my real estate investing two years ago at the start of the pandemic. Why did I even look into real estate in the first place? It's because I was a W two worker. I remember Trump passed the Tax Cut Jobs Act. We couldn't write off a lot. We weren't getting any more tax refunds. And I was wondering why this didn't make any sense. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, like a lot of the investors did. And we said, oh, you need to do some businesses, invest in real estate, something along the lines with tax benefits. So long story short, COVID happened. This is when I first met you in your podcast. I remember you were talking about syndications at the time. And you said if your net worth wasn't less than, wasn't more than a million, then go find yourself an investment property. And that's where I was at, right? I was worth maybe like, 400k at the time went through turnkey companies and they just kept i did a cash out refi actually cash out refi for my primary home used that debt to just continue to buy turnkey investment property 100 to 150 thousand dollar ranges 20 percent down and just kept on expanding from there and yeah at this point i have 17 doors and four syndication deals wait so when we first connected Net worth four hundred thousand. How did it go up, like almost a million in two or three years? Inflation. We had all these properties went up like forty, fifty k. Some of them a hundred thousand just in equity. So that's a boost uh, to my net worth. And, yeah, because yeah, you rolled that 2020, 2021 wave, and then you also yeah. saved. I'm sure you saved two to three hundred thousand dollars just from your saving. And Correct. Maybe your yeah. stocks went up a little bit. Yeah. Now you have too much money, and now you got to get rid of these. <laughs> these properties Um, yeah but that's the thing it's all on paper right like now we got to go through here and sell all this stuff talk to me about what's going on here this 50 percent. like you bought it with a buddy or yep with a buddy when i first started off i did the first cash out refi took about three hundred thousand, and it afforded me four investment properties out of state in missouri ohio texas and then my buddy, who's also a registered nurse, a similar mindset, he wanted to get in on the deal. So I said, all right, let's go 50-50, down payment, and we'll split everything 50-50. And that, that way, I have 10, right now I have 10 conventional loans under my name. It was a way for me too, it benefited me because we were able to 
put some of those loans under his name so we can expand more and scale up. At the time when listening to podcasts and stuff like that, like people talked about owning 40 properties, 60 properties. But yeah, at some point it gets a little bit too much, especially with vacancies and evictions and the cost to turn over a tenant. It, it does eat away at the cash flow. So on paper, it looks like amazing. I'm a millionaire on paper, but nowhere near where I want to be. Yeah, I'm looking down your list here. It looks pretty higher-end properties. Maybe they did inflate the prices a little bit, but you're probably like B-class, definitely not C-class properties. So you probably do have a little yeah, bit class tenant profile yeah. here. What did So you were buying this as a buddy. Like You got the loans in all your name. What was the deal? We split it, so... I'll get one property, put it under my name, and then he'll get the other property, put it under his name, and we'll just go vice versa. Okay. Jeez, you guys are quite tight to the hip now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's my business partner. He's my good buddy. He's my best friend. Yeah. So what does he say? Have I talked to this dude? No, not yet. Now, what I would do is I would sell all this stuff at a little discount to him and have him deal with this nonsense. Okay. Just keep the note in your name. Because, like, I mean, you bought, you haven't ran this stuff for very long. Like, how many evictions have you had? Only three, and that all happened in 2022. It only happened this year after the moratorium was lifted. So, only three. Okay. I would say out of three evictions, one of them is going to usually be, like, kind of gut punch. Like, five grand, ten grand. Like a yeah. trasher property that's been my run rate. So you're due for a while. Yeah, no. yo, it, it happened. The one on number four, the property that I... So the 50% is with the partner and the one on top is what I own by myself. And yeah, that one on Peck, I'm going through... I just finished the eviction. It cost me about 15 grand to fix, just to renovate everything, change out the carpets, fix the ACs, mold, and just, yeah, whole shebang, 15,000 down the drain. Yeah. I'll just experience share here. Like I had about the same amount of properties and what I did is I put them up on that. I'm not going to say the name, but there's a website out there with a lot of turnkey homes. And the great thing is that their buyers are really unsophisticated and dumb. So they just, you can just, you can, it's a great place for you to sell it. So you can just put it up there with the tenant, with it tenanted. So that way you don't okay. lose, you don't lose the cash flow, and then that way you're okay. you're in a great position because you don't have to you're not desperate to sell it. So what I would do, it, if it, your partner wasn't involved, right, is I would throw yeah. it all up on there for a slightly higher price, maybe five percent over what you think you should get or what they they're gonna try and like arm wrestle you down so they can get their broker fees, of course. Yeah. That way they just sell off naturally because there's a sucker born every day that wants to buy turnkey rentals every day mm-hmm. and have them just naturally sell off. But like when one of these go vacant, that's your opportunity to put in 10, 15, 20 grand and rehab it and then sell it. Like this one, for example, the Caroline market value 135. And these are retail, right? Like you're, yeah. you've got like, Full price. you've got like crap amenities in here, right? Like, tenant grade stuff right now it ain't gonna sell for this much okay that's the hard thing about evaluating and it's all beat up right now because you have tenants in there so it's gonna be right, at least right. 10 grand of repairs but the idea is if this one went vacant then you fix it up you put whatever it takes and then it's still a good market to sell so it'll sell quickly but you take it off of that investor website and you go you find a local broker to sell at retail and then you know it's real estate you'll probably get lucky and you'll find like a, a sucker retail buyer who loves your property because you use the right granite countertops in there okay i'm actually meeting with the agent tomorrow the one on terrace in columbus up top on number three yeah that's the first one since it's mine solely i want to sell that one off okay okay but you don't you don't the thing is you don't want to take the tenant out of there Okay. If your agent can guarantee that this thing is going to sell in two months or less, fine. But we're already talking like September. By the time you get this thing on the market, it's Halloween and you don't want to be selling during that time of the year. Okay. Especially where we are in the calendar month. But even if it was like March right now, we're coming into the peak transaction period, I would still put it on the investor website let it ride there 
and then just see what you get. And then that way you can be a little bit, you're still getting great cash flow from this stuff. And mm-hmm. But however you want to do it, your agent's going to try and trick you to sell it with him. And it could, that's the right. hard thing is you got to, it sits and he's going to want to get the tenant out of there. And then you're going to cut your cash flow stream. That's the situation you don't want to be in. What I would do is I would go into that meeting and say, either I get like some kind of guarantee that this guy's going to sell this property with X amount now. Okay. Or just create the relationship now so that when I do have this thing on the website for three to six months and there's no action and it goes vacant, then I can pass it off to him. And he is going to manage my rehab for me. Do you have a contractor to do all this, like your property manager? The managers facilitate the contracting. Okay. So that's another thing. Like you're when you buy through these turnkey providers, you got to be careful sometimes the fine print that they're going to be, they get like first crack at selling your property so they can pick up the easy three to 6% commission. Oh, okay. So, so make, okay. before you start talking to other people, figure out if they got you at that. Okay. Typically those property managers are like the crappiest retail brokers. You don't want to use them, but you may be stuck with them. Okay. Yeah. And that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I have my meeting tomorrow, so that's good advice. Yeah. If you have a good relationship with your property manager, you can probably have them waive that because they get it. And especially if you refer them business, sure, they want you to be happy. But I would say that's how the property management companies actually make their money. It's a total grind managing these properties from you. Like, you don't pay them enough. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Eight, eight to ten percent. Uh, you're talking like a hundred dollars per door. So yeah, for these. Yeah, they, it's a tough job. Difficult tenants too. So what happened with me? I don't know what's going to happen with you. Is I so I did that, and seven of my rentals sold in the first year. I think that's like 2017. So tax wise, I had like a quarter million dollars of capital gains. But okay, I had invested in syndication deals prior to, which that's how I had all the passive losses to offset those capital gains. So people are listening to this. I don't know why the heck you would ever want to do a 1031 exchange unless you're like your capital gains is like over two to three million dollars. That's really the only reason why. I don't know why anybody, I know why they promote it so much that they, the 1031 custodians can make a thousand bucks or whatever. But like, it's a really bad strategy if you're investing in syndications deals and you're, you're, you're smart about how you manage your passive activity losses. I guess, Jackson, did you see, did you check up your 8582 form prior to this? I have about 40,000 of passive activity. And then just this year alone, I know I can probably, it's probably going to be a hundred grand that I can unlock that's just, just sitting there for right now. Okay. From like your, on your 2021 K1s then. Yeah. And then not even including, what did you do in 2022? syndication wise 2022 i joined three syndication one of them was with you the sanctuary on broadway put in fifty thousand into there and some storage units and another multi-family apartment okay. and they're all about fifty thousand each okay you had prior to this year you had 140 grand of passive losses you invested another 150 in 2022 let's just call it 250 I think is yeah. what you should have. You should easily be able to easily absorb three or four of these sales. Okay. But any questions on that, how that kind of works? No. And then if I was to sell it, I could reinvest that into another syndication. And that will also you provide even more, more, you're yeah, more this, depreciation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I figured so. And it, it's the concept is you're in an airplane and the nose is going up, but like... Just got to make sure you don't have no passive activity losses. Because after a while, the people who are in dozens of deals, they start to get three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 of passive losses, and it becomes this kind of backroom joking area where everybody hasn't paid taxes in like half a, half a decade <laughs> or more. Uh-huh. And now you see why, because you keep, right. keep loading and getting more passive activity losses. And I'm sure at some point you pay the piper, but the whole point is delaying the tax bill long periods of time over mm-hmm. a decade I think would be pretty easy but but e- even if let's just say one worst case scenario is you put it on the website and you just get you're like crap I put it for too low and eight of them sell right oh. $350,000 of capital gains depreciation recapture your income isn't that high and that's 
I guess that's a bad thing, but a good thing is if your income right now is 200, you could take 100 grand additional capital gains in 2022, 2023, and you wouldn't really jump up too much. It's not the end of the world. And I say that because a lot of investors, they get so freaked out about, if I don't have any passive losses, the world is going to end. No, your AGI will just go up a little bit more. And in your case, you're around 200 and it'll go to 250. Still no big deal. You got to take it on the chin and move on. And just pay the taxes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. not that much taxes. But yes, yeah, so that. And it, I think if you do it like that, it'll naturally, like, you'll exit out these things. And that way you're not going to have, you'll be flush with all this money to quickly invest. And who knows, this year is already looking like it's going to be a slow year for deals, right? I'm sure you know what 2023 yep. is. I don't know if you can adequately, there's always deals out there, right? If you're well-networked, there's always deals out there. I don't think that's going to be a problem, but you don't. I'm sure, like, a guy like your, yourself, you don't want to hold too much cash. Like, a quarter million, thousand dollars of money is burning a hole in your pocket. You, frugal guy like yourself may actually spend it on something stupid. Yeah. Like, a Tesla. I've been looking at a Tesla. Yeah. Or a lot of Tesla whistles. But, but yeah, that's the nice thing about doing it like this, because they random, randomly, it'll just sell at nice okay. intervals, I guess. But yeah, I so I sold my I sold seven of mine in 2017, and then two of them, two or three of them the next year, and then and then one a year after something like that. That's how it happened for me. Oh. The problem with those kinds of websites is it's like a bidding system, and you always get these stupid lowball offers that just totally waste your time. That's the frustrating thing about it. But and you're gonna get a lot of that because you're not a motivated seller, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. still these properties are still cash flowing, and I'm not in in any hurry at this point. One of the things that's like keeping me wanting to keep the properties is that I'm raising rents like twenty percent on all of them, so the cash flow just multiplied naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Someone like you, I can tell this to. Most people put your earmuffs on. Yeah, we call this simple passive cash flows and cash flow is great. But cash flow never created legacy wealth. It's you selling these properties for thirty-five grand more profit than you thought. How much months of extra three hundred dollars a month is that? Let me do the math. Extra three thousand dollars that's three thousand dollars a year divided by thirty-five thousand. Or no, thirty-five thousand divided by if one of these properties sold for $35,000 more than you thought it was, years of extra $3,000 a month, that is, that's 11, 12 years. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, who cares about cash flow? Again, other people listening, forget I said that. You're seeing <laughs> what I'm saying, right? Yes, yeah, sir. Uh-huh. And this is, I think, what separates passive investors who work their day jobs from business owners, right, who sell their businesses for four, five, ten million dollar wax. Like that that's what separates people who are in first class or eventually fly first class all the time like yourself to people who buy out the plane. That's the difference. But let's get you to ten, twenty thousand dollars of passive income first. But that to point what it is like that's the sign of what is really legacy wealth is like the big wax of cash. Like the syndication deal, you put a hundred grand in, you maybe get this 60 grand, hundred grand back at certain increments. That's the big whack of cash. And after a while, maybe you're seeing this extra $2,000 every quarter. That's not changing your life one bit. Even $2,000 a month, that doesn't change your life one bit. No, I'm still working. So yeah, you're right. It doesn't, it's not a game changer. Yeah. So same thought process, like Again, when we use that to trick you to buy the rental properties initially, but don't let yeah your rents are going up incrementally. Then therefore your net operating income should be going up. But that's not how these assets are traded, and that's mm-hmm. the good thing about selling these properties on an unsophisticated investor base. They're idiots, so they'll buy on Ford rents. So you're going to be the beneficiary of that unsophisticated buyer. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense that you said that. Because I even have colleagues that they want to get in on investing and they want to go into buying a, a investment property. That's their goal. And then back of my mind, is, there's a lot of risk to it. If you really want to jump in this game, you need to go full force. Because one, two rentals, um, 
you put yourself at risk financially. Yeah, yeah. But to get them started, that's the big thing. You're becoming, taking that next step as an investor, obviously. But this is what, you're transitioning more to an accredited investor mindset where you're looking at things not on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis, mm-hmm. on one year at the shortest, but more like three, four, five year time horizons. I was looking at a deal the other day, and it's like a crazy land deal, but it's gonna take 10 years to come out of the oven and actually make money or put potential to be sold. Personally, I'm not there yet. I'm not willing to wait six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years for anything. So 10 years, no money until you actually sell the property? That's where you get your returns? Yeah, but I would like, 8x 20x my money oh yeah but okay. i understand intuitively if you maybe find me in 10 years i'd be all about that type of stuff but at this point in time i have the self-awareness to to say even though it's good for me in the long term that's not what i'm looking for now so you're in the middle too right yeah the deals because i'm taking on debt to invest in syndications i need to see some kind of preferred return to at least offset any interest that I have to pay. Another question too is since I'm looking more into these type of deals, like how do you really know who's a good operator? Like how do you know they're going to come correct and perform and have a full turnaround in that five to seven year? That's expected. Everybody's an internet marketer these days, right? Everybody has a silly podcast, especially after 2018. 2018. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a book. It's just a, it's a fake it till you make it game. And I've been around a lot of these types of like ecosystems where they teach people how to do this stuff. And they slap the guru's face on the website and they pay the guru 20 grand and the guru hasn't done shit either. It's, this is why I stopped going to a lot of these real estate conferences because they're all fake anyway. Like the guy speaking on the stage hasn't gotten done jack. And I'm fooled. I have to ask some of my inner circle partners on, do you know this person? So what I tell folks is, at the end of the day, it's all your network is your net worth, right? Like, why recreate the wheel on your own, like how I did? I've invested with some bad partners, and even as LP, right? Like, I've lost money. You don't know until you get into bed with people, but or you expand your network and just follow your peers, your close inner circle, into follow them into the end zone, have them tackle for you. There's two ways. Okay. And that's why we have over 90 people now in our family office in our circle group. It's a pay-to-play group. Yeah. Um, But that'll naturally happen from a group like ours, but it's more than that. I think that naturally happens. It'll come through in conversation, but the people there, they're more about building relationships with each other. Who's going to hang out during vacations or hang out when people travel? Like That's really more important because you're seeing already in five years... You just, all you got to do is make 10% or 8%. You can probably put Mm -hmm. your money back in the stock market. Like you don't really need these alternative investments, right? You've gotten that penetration. You've gotten past that point of no return, $2 million to $3 million net worth. But the currency that you're going to want is the social relationships. So that's Mm -hmm. my pitch for the family office group. If people are interested more, (laughs) they can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. But to me, that's really, I don't think you've come to any of the events. Like we allow people to test drive it once and get a look at the people. Because at least myself personally, like prior to 2016, I was just doing what you were doing all by myself. And until I found myself in a room with all these other crazy accredited investors buying properties sight unseen or doing syndication deals I thought I was completely crazy and that's what you need to at least for once to have the conversations we can talk about this next the HELOC thing the most people think taking on five six percent on your HELOC is crazy like like you said you said you need right now where your mindset is you need to have a pref to cover it but I'm gonna tell you the pref means jack the pref is not guaranteed preferred rate of terms really means nothing in my opinion but it's just you have to have faith that or know via your network that somebody you're working with is proven and going to do what they say they're going to do or even in bad times the asset still beats that certain rate but like this is something that we can talk in theory on this call but until you meet other people and build relationships with them that are doing the same thing that went over this intellectual hump 
it, it's it's just not gonna it's not gonna happen i guess then you won't find other things to invest in and, and that's the hard thing right you are your five people you hang out with most if you don't have at least a couple other credit investors in that that five people you're not going to go anywhere. You're just going to stay where they are. But that's my big thing. And I think it goes beyond. So like at the Hawaii retreat we have, we always going to have like half of the people who are inner circle people. And then the other half are the people kind of test driving the organization. They're the ones coming in. And like they, they mix immaturely, in my opinion. Like they come in and ask, who's your lawyer? Who's your CPA? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? These people stealing money? What's happening? And I get it. That's the normal tendency for most people to do. And it's probably what you're going to do. But what I'll say is, look what the more experienced investors are doing, right? They're chilling. They're meeting other people. They're getting to know them personally. They're not talking about money investments. Yeah, that happens privately at other times, more naturally, right? But I think for most investors who've never met anybody who's crazy enough to take money out of their home equity and put it into something that might make double or triple that it's new for most people i think that's important to see that happen firstly but for some reassurance like that is what the mastermind people are doing like they're taking out the heloc at seven percent interest rate and investing that in syndications yeah this is the number one most common question because the way you guys think about it and i thought about i thought it this way at one time we were all taught to be good kids and pay off our debts Right? Yep. So you have a $100,000 loan and you're paying 5%. So what is that? $5,000 a year. Yeah. Probably for you, it's more like double that, right? 200 grand, 10 grand of interest payments per year. So that's, let's call it a thousand bucks a month. That probably freaks you out a little bit. Like I got this thousand dollar. It's almost like a big car payment. But the way to think about it and it takes a while to get there is if with high confidence that you're going to make the delta on that, you're going to be making at least 10%, maybe in 15, 20%, who knows, then it's just a matter of time. And you just have to eat that cost. And that's where we look at like the sum. Don't look at the monthly payments, look at the sum. How long is it going to take for you to get traction in these investments? Things go bad, maybe a couple of years, 20,000 bucks. And that's not that much money for the doomsday scenario that you have to feed. So what's the normal solution? Just take out 220 grand, dude. And just keep yeah, 20 yeah. grand on the side. Yeah. And then going back to the interest rate thing, that's all it is. And I think you understand that logically, right? If you're making if you're making 15% in your investments, and those investments are also helping you save taxes too, which is also mm-hmm. hard to quantify. Well, let's just look at it strictly from an interest rate or return perspective. If as long as your HELOC is less than that, with a minor safety buffer, you should be fine. Yeah. And, but it's hard, right? I mean, you're. This is well, what's hard is because I haven't seen a deal go full circle yet. Like I'm yeah. invested into four deals, but I haven't seen like the real returns where. I could speak upon it with confidence. Not like the single family homes where I said, yeah, I I see rental increases. I see the market increases and I've experienced it. So I can talk with confidence with it. Syndications is relatively new, but is more attractive, especially being a passive, a very passive route versus the owning your own property. Yeah. But the owning your own property there, just getting off of the Zillow house numbers, then it's just that's all fake numbers anyway and you have to actually right. mm-hmm. sell it and go through some friction costs of rehabbing and the commissions to get your true walkaway number but that's i think that's what's hard for folks like in this commercial world like there's no zillow on like our 40 million dollar property we're not going to tell you how much the thing is worth we don't know that's you get an appraisal or you get a real bid on somebody wanting to buy it that's your price but i think you you have to just out of those four deals you're in i'm sure like out of one of the four something will happen in the next couple years right now it's gonna stand still right like it's just not a transacting time because interest rates are a little bit spiked now i think if the interest rates didn't go up i'm sure like one of the four for you would have cashed out or refinanced Mm. here and then you'll see 30 grand just dump at least dump into your account and then you're scratching your head this is awesome yeah yeah this is awesome but like also that was my milk money or that that was my interest payments for my two hundred thousand dollar heloc for three four years and then now it's the whole idea of now you're playing with house money 
Okay. And I, or okay. you can talk to other people, build real relationships with the friendships, if you call it. And four, four of them can tell you this, and you just have to trust them via proxy. But yeah, like I think this is the same thing with, I don't know if you're doing infinite banking, but we have the same thing that happens in our mastermind group. Like guys will get a big infinite banking policy, and they're, it's the same thing. If interest rates are the same, right? Like four or 5%. Although tax deductible, but so is your HELOC should be tax deductible. But they're like the same exact thing. Just change out the world's HELOC for my infinite banking policy loan for myself. And then they're thinking, are you guys paying off your interest or are you paying monthly or are you guys even paying off your loans? And then I don't even have to say it in that group. Like people will already automatically chime in or we got like a private Discord group too. No, man, don't worry about it, dude. It's just like the whole HELOC thing. And then people, oh, okay, same thing, got it. Essentially, you're just playing the same game as the banks, right? The banks, they lend their money out at higher rate, and then they, it's the same thing. It's just a rate arbitrage. It takes a little while. It takes liquidity for you to get the traction going, get mm-hmm. traction at some point. So that was my thought. One of my questions regarding the HELOC is, should I pull out the money, invest it, and then pay it down with the idea of once it's paid down earlier than the five years to just redeploy again and again. Could you use it as a forced savings? I would pull the HELOC. I would get monetize all the money out of the HELOC because the PLOCs can get pulled at any point. And that's why the HELOCs aren't ideal. They're a great mm-hmm. way for people to get started and you used it to get started, right? I would say once you get proof of concept, either move into move your equity into an infinite banking policy where they can't pull that stuff from you and you own it and the rates are better and you also get the life insurance component and the asset protection. There's just so mm-hmm. many reasons more why the infinite yeah, yeah. banking is better. Mm-hmm. Put it into there. So you're just shifting your equity over. But I think the problem there is now you're like, oh, now I've created this large gap in my home equity debt. I have this payment. Yep. But if you have the money in your infinite banking you could just pay it off do you really have it or did you just create another hole for yourself that's displaced well, another gap oh yeah because the infinite banking i just i could just withdraw i could just yeah. withdraw if i really needed it yeah if you really needed to if your grandma great grandma got reborn and was you were totally ashamed for having debt yeah you could just <laughs> replace it okay yeah that makes sense i didn't think of it that way but yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah i, I get it like you have this other payment and you think you have to pay it off I tell people, don't worry about it. It sounds irresponsible. If you have the money, then do you really need to pay it off? And this is the whole concept of other people's money, right? If I, and in here, this is like where it clashes with some people's really old school mentality. Some people, either it's an Asian thing or like an older generation thing. They say, at some point I want to pay down my debt, but from a money theory perspective why if you're making positive Mm -hmm. cash flow and it's growing at the end of the day like your loan to value your debt amount really means nothing i don't know why people really look at it too much it's more about debt surface coverage ratio and your liquidity this go bad it doesn't matter how much equity you have they're going to shut down your loans and you're going to be frozen it all matters how much liquidity you have right yeah Yeah, because your equity is all on paper yeah i this kind of was made very evident to me. Like we have a one very affluent partner, and what he's doing, he's harvesting all this equity, monetizing, getting in his bank. He don't care about the debt, cert, the loan to value on his assets. He don't care because he knows, just like the last several recessions, when things get hard, you they freeze your lines you can't get money out of it and they still want you to pay your debt service but if you have this boatload of liquidity somewhere you can always keep feeding that and it's just a matter of time before things normalize again you get out of there but here the people have a false sense of security right they're trying to pay off their properties what do you do you got 50 percent paid off or 80 percent or 100 percent in tough times, nobody, the banks don't care. You're not, you, you really should never get to 100%, but you're still going to have a payment. Right? All they care, you care about is liquidity and how much you can feed that. So if you had mm-hmm. 20 grand extra and things got really bad, that could feed your payments for two years. Yeah, you know, that's exactly. Like, does that, that should make you feel pretty confident, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a long time. I'm sure I can find another 10 grand if needed to take it another year. 
No big deal. Yeah, that's a different mindset shift yeah, for sure, mindset. but it makes yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, most times people focus more on the percent of loan to value, but what it really is liquidity and then how much cash flow positive or debt service coverage ratio, which is a byproduct of how much cash flow you have or lack thereof. Okay. But in a nutshell. I don't know. I do it. I don't have a house, but I see a lot of other people doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But And yeah, I did have know. one more question. So at this point, is it better to invest in like multiple syndications, just weave it out a bunch of $50,000 to $100,000 deals or really focus on like the bigger projects or whatnot i think i'll just tell you what most people do i'm not necessarily signing off on the strategy per se True. what most people will do is they'll spread it around quite a bit go with the minimums or 100 grand if you're over a couple mm-hmm. million get to a point where you're pretty diversified same theory as your rental properties like you said i think both of us would agree that one to five properties is not enough diversification if one goes right. bad gonna be sad a little bit yeah be a downer mm-hmm. for a few months but mm-hmm. right now you're at over a dozen or so if one goes down you're oh, that was a bummer anyway yeah. same thing I'm like still, a, yeah. think about it like that everybody's a little bit different maybe a dozen syndications just try and race up there okay and i think maybe you're doing this too but another like big beginner mistake is people will diversify into too many operators and too many asset classes that's the okay. That's the normal tendency. That's you're unleashed in the Las Vegas buffet and just get everything right. Just Chinese foods, pot stickers, pizza, yeah, pasta, yeah. seafood. You just go a little bit. You kind of people tend to spread themselves a little thin. Yeah, getting the trailer parks and multifamily storage units. Yeah, yeah. Like this Joker came up on my LinkedIn feed. That must be great. Yeah. Uh-uh. But that's, everybody does it. I guess that's what's cool about that is naturally you get experience and you parlay that into interacting with people. And really, my group is the only group that's like that. The rest of it is just a bunch of like broke guys trying to be general partners who are trying to fake it till they make it. Like they don't have money. Interacting with those types of people is a waste. But like by actually coming in and saying, oh, have a, I'm in six syndication deals. That's some street cred right there. And maybe one of them is not do good doing good. And that's more street cred too. That brings value into relationships, right? At least Jackson knows who not to invest with. But yeah, I, I think that that's... That, that kind of makes sense? Or? No, it does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Obviously, the more advanced people in our family office group, it, comes, it came up a few times where you know, some of the more experienced people, what they review is, reveal is they went down that initial beginner state of a lot of deals, a lot of operator, a lot of asset classes. And then once they see the deals turn over or they, they just build certain affinities to certain people or asset classes or whatever and then they start to consolidate it down maybe a factor of two so if they're mm-hmm. in, a, in and i guess the other thing that's happening too at the same time is like most people will test with a certain smaller portion of their net worth and then when it works then you unleash the beast maybe you're investing yeah 100 grand initially but if it if you know it's working, I know you're going to start to unload all this stuff. That's a million. That's, right and yeah, that's the plan. That's what I have in my mind yeah. right now is what I have to do next is really just trade off the single family homes for syndication deals, take off something more passive yeah. and just let it ride. I'm, I don't want to give you advice, man. But of course, maybe, Understood. maybe the direction you're heading is you get into a dozen deals at the minimums. And then you get go to this first round of who do you like, who actually says what they're going to do. Hopefully nobody steals your money. And then from there you decide, all right, I like this half better and I'm going to do double the amount, $150,000 minimums or two quarter million or whatever. Okay. And you start to do that. and then But the other, that kind of makes you shrink your amount of your choices. But I would still, the other thing that I would think about is it's good to like space out these investments too, right? I've always thought if you have 24 deals, that's always a nice number. I think I'm like 80 or 100. It's a little bit too wow. much, but that's this is uh-huh. kind of what, what I do. And I've got staff to help too for the 
book, not really bookkeeping, but just that one time a year when I get a shit ton of K1s back. You have a hundred deals as an LP? LP, GP. I oh, mean, there's okay. the checkboxes okay. on the K1, but they're never right. Like, everything yeah. on the K1s never right. I don't know why people freak out. They freak out because they only have one or four K1s. Right. K1s are never right. And I think I've talked to CPAs about it, and the CPAs are just like, the only important thing is like box four or I don't like the deductions one and your gain. That's the only important stuff. Okay. But I'm not giving tax advice here, of course. Of course, of course. The, that's why if you have a year in... Most of these deals last five years, right? Yeah. On average. So if you're going into a deal a quarter, four times five, that's 20 deals. So that's why I rounded up to a couple dozen. That's the ideal model. Nobody ever hits that, myself included. But that I think that's a good model maybe to be shooting for. So that if, we'll do this in the retreat. I got all ideas. Imagine your perfect day. Oh, send everybody out to the beach. And then what does your day look like? Are you working? Maybe you're not, right? Maybe you're just doing the nurse thing a couple days out of the week, the other three days. And you're just checking your inbox or connecting with other people socially, but you are you try and find one deal a quarter. Right? Yeah. And then a deal exits early. Crap, I have to redeploy it. I gotta invest, yeah, I got to invest it now. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's not that hard. And that's why if you have a good network, to be a passive professional investor really shouldn't take much more than like handful of hours a month doing it right and you have a good network um, that's what the vision looks like a couple dozen deals if you don't have any hobbies maybe three dozen deals <laughs> I personally have a lot because I like it I've always been some people and I don't know what you play like fantasy football fantasy basketball are you the kind of the guy who makes a gazillion transactions no I let it ride I do yeah. one transaction a week and just let it yeah just yeah. maybe just fix the lineup so yeah, we all have that one friend who just like leads the league in transactions. They, yeah, they think that's an award or something like that. But some people like it. They like that. They like to. This is, becomes fun for them. So there is no normal. Okay, sounds good. Also, if I was to keep some of these rentals, let's say down the line, I increase my net worth. I was able to go part time for my nursing job. What's the possibilities of? Because qualifying as a real estate professional, I don't. Is well, that number doable? one, I think that's a complete opposite way you want to go. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm mean, out of like almost a hundred people in our family office group. I would say only maybe half a dozen, like less than ten percent of people have a handful of rentals. And the whole thought process: Can you tell me a good freaking reason why you would want to own rentals if your net worth was? certainly past where you are now because you don't you're not doing value add any of these things no you're just a sitting duck floating around in the water you're not doing anything the market goes good you make a lot of money if it doesn't easy come easy go the, the liability of your property manager stealing money from you which to me happens a high prop maybe a few percent of the time most time people don't even know about it that they're getting robbed you have the legal liability and then the debt zero name which I don't know. It doesn't matter, but some people worry about that stuff, and it makes getting home loans a real pain. I mean, the only reason to do it is if you're trying to go for rep status. So let's talk about that, right? Let's fast forward a few years. Where do you think your adjusted gross income is going to be? And let me preface it saying, well, what if you guys had this passive cash flow coming in from all these deals? You redeployed this 500 grand, and now it's making $5,000 a month. So now your mm-hmm. passive income is eight, five okay. plus five. See what I'm saying? Like, my income, our income will be less. Exactly, um, exactly. Just, and this is yeah, what I also less. saying. Like, why is your spouse going and getting a master's? We talked about the reasons, but right. this is that phenomenon where, like, the more passive income you have, the less ordinary income you're going to need to make. So yeah, right now rep status would be great, but at some point you start to shut off the engines and you start to make less ordinary income so that rep status really only makes sense when you go past this red line 340 and above in mm-hmm. most cases it's not worth the brain damage okay. so like, yeah i guess like where okay. do you think five years from now where do you think your adjusted growth your ordinary income is going to be not including probably yeah probably 
a hundred myself, my spouse, so two hundred, two hundred each. What two hundred total? Yeah, you're not paying any taxes, man. Like, you, you have no reason to do rep status. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Thank you for getting that out of my mind, because yeah, when I, you listen to these podcasts and they're all like, this is the bonus depreciation, yeah. all the benefits. So yeah, well, that's, that's actually why you uh, gotta I'm, get I'm off. Glad. Of po- if you listen, been listening to podcasts for more than like a year and a half. Stop listening to podcasts. Read some books or interact with real people. Doing because mm-hmm. podcasts are just marketing tools. My podcast is the same shit over and over again. Like yeah, we just, yeah. We it's just, the same stuff. Yeah, we just go over the surface, and that's why I do these coaching calls because like I get bored and it's fun deep diving into this the 50th minute in right mm-hmm. times it's just the surface stuff and people always ask oh we should have guests but the guests are just going to tell us the same old stuff and th- but they're not going to tell you the reasons why not to do it too which is my job yeah that's true because you normally the guests will just bounce around the different people's podcasts and yep. reiterate the same thing on the education point at least reassures that i'm doing the right thing but yeah you're right it's usually it's pretty redundant and this is where this is what makes this personal finance right every situation a little different but again this is like more like you got to find other people to do this and that's more sustainable way and to get on the front edge of these strategies but yeah you're heading enough to the you're, you're, that's the way you want to hand right less ordinary income more passive income so you can the passive losses to drive the passive income down to nothing over this time, your adjusted, your ordinary income will go down and your AGI will go down. You're burning leaner, as we call it. I would say, so I think maybe something for your family to think about is which way do you want to head it? Because there's a few archetypes here and I've seen this in our family office group. So this is when you guys are, she makes the big bucks, right? Like you, option one is you make a lot, you burn a lot in taxes. Mm-hmm. This would be, if we go back to your personal financial sheet here, you guys, get a much higher bigger house you trip you quadruple your vacation budget and this is the idea of hey we like our jobs we make a lot and yeah we have two kids and we don't we see often enough because maybe one of us works at home but for us it just makes sense for us to just make a lot and spend a lot and yeah pay a lot of taxes in that time but they know i think like the thing that i like is i've given them the confidence that they don't need to be doing that for more than a decade the other opposite of that is you guys kind of like we're talking here and maybe that's where you're naturally guiding towards is like you guys working less going down to, to you're making the efficient amount of income to pay the least amount of taxes yeah yeah you don't get to live large on vacations but time is more important to you Whereas not yeah. many kids aren't important on the other one. A lot of times the mindset or the justification is, well, our kids are in elementary school, high school. It's not like we can just take them out and to go to Disneyland or go on a trip to Hawaii. There's only a mm-hmm. few times a year. And we, when we do it, we take them out and we burn a lot of money because we make a lot. But that they feel like they maximize their time with the kids. So I would say for you guys, that would be the two bookends. And I guess there's some in between, but you have to. Yeah, I think I think I will do both. I think once you graduate, we'll probably just try to make as much as possible, enjoy that living. But I'm giving it like a 10 year horizon where the passive income is really going to drive the way. And that's when we're going to work less and spend more time with each other and our families. That's the ideal vision. Yeah. Until one of you guys dies. I I hate (laughs) to be morbid, but it happens, right? Yeah. But that's I think that's where you. It's cool to talk to some of the older folks and then getting their hindsight because they, there's this concept of 18 summers. If you only have 18 summers with your kid, you're probably mm. done with you. And so you, some of these are guys are at the end and they have three or four left. And mm-hmm. like, sure, I wish I wouldn't have done what you did. And, and so it ultimately comes down to choices. But like most people living the normal paradigm, they just can't. Their choices suck. It's either work 30 years or 35 years. Both suck. Yeah, yeah. No thanks. Yeah. But I'd say that's where it's going to come down to at some point. And that's why the network is important. So you have those types of conversations. But either way, you got some time, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you're ahead of the curve of most people. Just look where your net worth went from. Like 400 
a few years ago to over 1.3. Like I said, you'll probably be around two, two and a half, then four, five years. At that point, you could probably pull the pin. And then, how old is your kid now? Eight months. Oh, perfect. I got like a young kid. To me, I don't know. I'm not talking from experience, but to me, I don't think they remember uh-huh. much these days. So perfect. You, yeah. You burn both ends of the candle now for another four or five years. And when they're four or five years old, then you can engage and do nothing. The memories. Yeah. 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 That's you the dream. Have what people, yeah, yeah. You are living the dream that people want. Most people, they wake up in their 41, 42, and they have a $1.5 million in their 401k. And then they have to go to this three to five year journey to get to real passive income. By that time, their eight year old child is now 14. It's too late. It's too freaking late. It's too late. I don't know about building a relationship, but it's too late to teach this stuff to the kids, I think, at that time, past that point. Hopefully people listening didn't get sad and I don't want to play Christmas (laughs) Carol on people. Yeah, uh, another piece is how am I going to engage my son to teach him this stuff and it's tough. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think if you engage in our community, we'll figure that out. I, I think it's just time, right? If you're not my family, like our parents were just working forever. Correct. There was yep. no interaction. There was no yep. sharing of experiences. No, it's grind and to brag about what you've done and how much you've achieved yeah. with so little. But apparently you're going when your kid's five, you're not going to do jack. And you're just going to bother them all day long. Certainly, there's going to be some kind of knowledge transfer in that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But if not, that's what the community is for. That's where you send them off to auntie's house or uncle's house to not learn it from you, but somebody else. Yeah. The rich dad. Yeah. Or the rich uncle. The rich uncle. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, close things out here. Any other last thoughts or... Questions. No, oh, no. Thank you for your time. This was really enlightening, and I appreciate everything you do and the education that you're putting out. But yeah, keep up the good work. Like I said, I was first introduced to you two years ago, and after reading your book recently, like it really resonated with. We're going through like the same experiences. Yeah, I'm glad to see that I am going through that right path, and I appreciate the guidance. Yeah, yeah. It's just numbers here, and I think that's where most of the people who are good with their money and save it typically you have to rein them back and say well you can spend your money more you can spend your time more on like life instead of working so hard so i think that's the byproduct of this but but yeah thanks for doing this jackson and for other folks listening if you guys are interested in doing this sign up for the club and then shoot a team at simplepassivecashflow.com an email and maybe we can set you up on one of these we can we can change your name we can make up a name for you we can We don't have to use your video if you're scared. Thanks for listening, everybody.